Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if... What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best The American Technion Society World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you Hey listeners, it's Mishi. Last week we released our 50th wartime diary. This week is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. And as a way of marking this milestone, and these dates, Yochai Meital and I will have a series of onstage conversations in New York and Cleveland. We'll discuss the process of creating wartime diaries, talk about some of the challenges we've encountered, the dilemmas we've had, the insights we've gained, So if you want to hear what covering the evolving story of this war has been like for us, we'd love to see you at one of our events. All the details are on our site, israelstory.org. And meanwhile, wishing us all calm and peaceful days ahead. So I guess you're the only person, the only Israeli to have both tried to kill and save the life of the leader of the Hamas. <laughs> Most probably I'm the only one that did the two things. Um, there are others that did uh, one of the two things. <laughs> hey listeners, it's Mishi. So as you know, during these incredibly difficult days, we're trying to bring you voices we're hearing among and around us. These aren't stories, they're just quick conversations, or postcards really, that try to capture slivers of life right now. Mishka ben David might look like a harmless and cuddly grandpa, and he's certainly acting like one these days with a son and son-in-law, both in reserves. But the truth is that he's lived many secret lives. Somehow he's managed to seamlessly transition from community organizing to academia to horse breeding, to an illustrious career as a senior Mossad agent. Today, however, he spends most of his time writing. Over the years, he's authored 21 books. Some of them are spy novels, but others are love stories, 
or philosophy treaties. One's even a book of literary criticism. They're bestsellers, and have been translated into pretty surprising languages, like Turkish and Korean. In 2017, he published The Shark, a dystopian tale which begins with the Hamas attack on Kibbutz Kfar Aza. A Hamas attack which is eerily similar to, in fact it almost exactly predicts, October 7th. Our producers Mitch Ginsburg and Adina Karpuch went to talk to Mishka in his home, in the pastoral moshav of Ramat Raziel, outside Jerusalem. Here's Mishka. Uh, my name is Mishka Ben David. I'm 71 years old. Uh, Mishka, by the way, is a nickname, as you can imagine. Uh, I was born as Moshe, but I was born to uh, parents that were born in the Ukraine, and my mother called me Mishka from my first day, and uh, this remained my uh, actual name always. My uh, mother only spoke Russian to me. I was born uh, in a little town called Givat Shmuel, which was uh, a town filled by Holocaust survivors, as my parents are. Um, all of my uh, friends were um, sons and daughters of Holocaust survivors. And um, this became uh, a very significant part of my uh, life and of my consciousness. I mean, it was very clear to me uh, since day one, I would say, that uh, if uh, Israel is not uh, strong enough to defend itself, we'll end up the way our parents ended up. And you can actually see it in all of my books. Uh, in all of my books, there is some portion that deals with the Holocaust. And uh, also, um, it determined uh, my life, I, I can say. It was clear to me that I have to do my utmost in the, in, during my army service uh, to become an officer, uh, to serve uh, significant service uh, during the Yom Kippur War and after Yom Kippur War, where I was the, a commander of the um, military and intelligence post on Mount Hermon. And then, uh, more than 10 years later, after I, having finished a PhD in uh, literature, um, I felt that uh, this is not what I want to do in the next 30 years. I was uh, 35 years old then. Um, and I saw a little ad in the paper, which didn't say Mossad. It said the government agency is looking for uh, ex-officers with an academic degree and with a good um, command of a foreign language. So I assumed it's the Mossad. I, uh, I answered the, the ad. I was invited uh, to a meeting at a small Tel Aviv apartment. Uh, they told me, who do you think we are? And I said, I think you are the Mossad. And if you are not the Mossad, please don't invite me again. So I uh, underwent uh, a very long uh, process uh, un until I was uh, actually accepted. Of course, uh, language tests and uh, psychological uh, tests and um, then uh, different uh, tests in the street. Like uh, they would tell me, you see that balcony in the third floor in a, just an apartment building in Tel Aviv? In five minutes, I want to see you in the balcony with the owner of the house. I want you to speak with him there for five minutes and then 
to say very nicely goodbye and come back to me. Many, many things like this to see how do you think operationally. Do you freeze or do you keep thinking? And uh, in this case, for example, I uh, looked at all the balconies around. I saw that many of them were uh, renovated. Uh, so I uh, went up, I knocked on the door, and I said, I'm a representative of the Council of Beautiful Israel, and uh, we are renovating uh, balconies here. Uh, do you want me to have a look at your balcony? So they opened up the door. Uh, and uh, I walked in, I stood with them at the balcony, we looked at the balconies around, I told them I think we can, uh, we can renovate your balcony like that one or like that one, and the five minutes were over <laughs> very fast, and I said, uh, well, I'm sorry, but I have to look at other balconies, I'll be back, thank you very much. So this is just a little example of the things uh, needed from you as a Mossad agent. Um, after about a year of a screening process, I was accepted and started my career at the Mossad. I did uh, various jobs that I won't refer to now, uh, including uh, three years abroad, three years in Europe. Then uh, after that period, I was appointed the head of intelligence for the uh, Special Operations Unit. At what point do you deal with Hamas? 1997. And um, the, there was the um, suicide bombing uh, led by Hamas in uh, Shuk Machne Yehuda, the Shuk in Jerusalem, with I think about 22 dead and over 100 injured. Uh, and uh, this is when Prime Minister Netanyahu called us in. And we presented Netanyahu with various um, uh, possibilities to um, to attack uh, people working for Hamas, Hamas uh, officers. We also mentioned that the, the Hamas leadership, Khaled Mashal and others, stay in Amman, but that we don't work in Amman because of the peace treaty with Jordan. And Netanyahu said, well, I do want you to go to Amman and uh, find a way to get to these people. So we went to Amman. Uh, we started uh, looking for them by various means. And uh, we came back to Israel with um, information, with intelligence of um, how, where does Masha live, which car does it go, where does it work, and uh, a few possibilities of how to, to get to him. Who is Khaled Mashal? Khaled Mashal was the, um, the head of Hamas. So he's the one who gave the order to have the, the suicide bombing in Jerusalem. Uh, there wasn't a decision yet to kill him, just a decision to learn and to come up with, a, with an ability to do that. But then at uh, September 4th, uh, there was another suicide bombing, again a double suicide bombing. Two suicide bombers were on Ben Jehuda Street in Jerusalem. The first one blew himself up, killing many people. And when uh, when many people gathered to aid, to help, etc., the other one blew himself. And uh, then Netanyahu said that he wants us to to take down uh, Khaled Mashal. Uh, we said 
that according to the, to the situation in the area, we have a few uh, ways to do that. We can put a bomb in his car. We can uh, have a sniper from a nearby building shooting him when, when he gets to his office or with a gunman uh, just getting near him and shooting him. And Netanyahu said, no, no, and no, because then it will be clear that, uh, that it was an Israeli operation and he doesn't want to endanger the relations with uh, Jordan. So uh, he said that he wants us to come up with some substance that if, you, if he touches it, he will die. Uh, and this substance was developed and uh, then uh, the idea was to spray him when he gets out of his car and walks uh, the few meters from his car to the entrance of the building where his office was. Uh, we got ready for that. The, the operational team was ready to do it. I was in Jordan as the head of intelligence and uh, at the day of the execution, the two uh, guys supposed to, to do the job did the job. But at the same time, uh, Marshall's little daughter, which was in the car, came out and ran after him. Uh, his driver got out of the car to stop her, and he saw uh, our two guys spraying him. And uh, he screamed, Khaled Masha lost conscience, and was in a hospital uh, actually on, on his way to die. But there was a big commotion in the street because of the driver shouting, etc., etc. And um, the two uh, operatives were uh, taken by a policeman to, uh, to a local police. So I conveyed the message to HQ. And as they got uh, my message, they uh, convened and decided uh, that Netanyahu will give a call to King Hussein, telling him, listen, yes, we it was us, we tried to kill a Mashal, but there are still a couple of hours that we can save his life. If you promise to let the, the two, uh, uh, our two men go, some of us will come and save his life. Hussein agreed and he said, but if Marshall dies, I'll have to kill those two guys because, uh, you know, there are 70% of the Jordanians are Palestinians. So then I was ordered to take the antidote, which I had, and to go down to the lobby of my hotel and to meet their uh, captain from the uh, Jordanian uh, security service uh, named Captain Firas. Uh, to give him the substance. Marshall by then was unconscious and uh, different uh, um, systems in his body failed one after the other. But um, after getting the shot with the antidote, he recovered. And our two people were released. Did it cross your mind at all uh, on October 7? Did you think about that at all? I mean, he does play a major role still today in the leadership of the Hamas, right? Yeah. Uh, Khaled Mashal is no longer the head of the political uh, wing of Hamas. But uh, I didn't need to wait until the 7th of October to think, uh, was it right or wrong to, to save uh, Khaled Mashal's life? Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Killing the head of uh, the organization is not an act that any of us thought 
will uh, eliminate the organization and it will definitely not eliminate its uh, ideology. But I would say that the reason an unwritten um, agreement between the government of Israel and its citizens, that if there is an arch-terrorist that uh, conducts uh, terror acts against Israel and orders terror acts against Israeli civilians, and we have the possibility to eliminate him, we have to do this. Uh, it's just a part of the, of the um, endless uh, vicious circle of the conflict here. So if we can, let's, let's fast forward a little bit to the shark. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Should we start with yeah, a reading? Read, like, the first paragraph, paragraph or something maybe? Yeah. <laughs> okay. זו הייתה המנהרה הארוכה ביותר שהחמאס חפר, ומכיוון שעברה מתחת לשדות, איש לא שמע את רעשי החפירה, ואיש לא חשד בקיומה. This paragraph uh, describes the invasion of Hamas into a kibbutz named Kfar Aza, uh, which actually in, in October 7th was one of uh, two kibbutzim that were hit uh, most dramatically by, by Hamas. In Kfar Aza and in Be'eri, the number of uh, slaughter people were much over 100. Uh, and uh, the fact that I chose Kfar Aza as uh, the, the place that they will uh, attack first, and, and that it happened in reality like this, uh, drove the attention of uh, very many uh, uh, journalists and I started getting phone calls uh, from reporters that have read the book, uh, from many of my uh, colleagues, from many readers, uh, telling me, look, w- what you wrote is, is happening, you, you have to speak about this. What did that feel like? I don't think that I felt different than anybody else. Uh, because uh, I an- anticipated this and because uh, I wrote a book that describes very, very similar uh, situation. I wasn't thinking about the book. My heart was with the people there. My thoughts uh, went to what can Israel do now? Uh, would Hezbollah get involved or not? Uh, I was thinking in those terms and not in the terms that, uh, look, I told you. And uh, although I, I, I did foresee, I did predict an attack of the Hamas on the settlements along the border, I did not imagine that they will do it in such a big force, such a big scale, uh, such a hatred and, and, uh, and uh, cruelty. So uh, it is clear uh, this is a war of existence. This is the first time that we understand that our enemies across the border are fighting not in order to have better life, not to, in order to have a larger uh, territory, but in o- order to replace uh, the Jewish regime in Israel. So um, a war like this is not a simple war. You cannot end it with a truce or with, with a ceasefire that's saying, okay, 
uh, we stay here, you go back, and we promise not to attack you again. No, this, this cannot be. It, it must end when there is no one on the other side that can attack us again. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat 
rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.